Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. Well, we haven't begun a conversation with this much <laughs> laughter in a long time. So thank you so much to the listener whose kind comment helped us recognize our enormous blind spot. Yes, you guys, we take your contributions to our conversations very seriously, as seriously as if you were sitting at the table with us. So to Abigail, who sent in the comment, thank you for inspiring this conversation. Okay, friends, get comfy. Here we go. So every week we talk about how this conversation isn't just Christy and I at the table, that we love to imagine our listeners at the table with us. And so when you message us or you email us or you tag us on Instagram and you reply, you chime in to the conversation, it's our favorite thing. You should know that. So gold star to Abigail this week. (laughs) We had a few people message, but Abigail, your comment made me laugh so much because you called to our attention something that is exactly what a good friend at a table would do. When you're having a conversation, they'd be like, wait, um, I think you missed something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm just going to, if you haven't listened, you might want to go back and listen to our conversation from last week. We were talking about creativity and we were asking ourselves, does creativity decline later in life is one of our questions. And I personally was sort of bewailing <laughs> my fear that my, my creativity days are over. <laughs> And then I opened up and heard Abigail's sweet voice as she sent me this message. I'm going to read the first part of her message to you guys. She says, hi, Lisa Joe. I'm jumping into the conversation you and Christy had on the podcast this week, which, by the way, I love that you are doing that with us. Please, more people do that. First, I think it's totally normal to feel tired and not so creative after finishing a major creative project like your most recent book. From what you've shared publicly, it seems that you put a lot of yourself into the project, and that sounds exhausting. (laughs) So, Lisa Jo, you shared this with me, and I I read it, and then she has some other great uh, comments that I think we're going to address as well, so good stuff from Abigail. But you shared it with me, I read it, I responded, and then we we discussed it again this morning as we sat down to record, and I suddenly realized that she had just pointed out something that you and I did not recognize at all. And no. when we recorded last week's conversation, we had this entire conversation and it was good. I think we shared a lot that was really true and some good, you know, personal realizations about our own creativity and how it does feel different in different stages of life. And yet we never acknowledged that before recording, you had just submitted the biggest, most ambitious, most creative <laughs> work, I'm just calling it, the most creative, ambitious, beautiful, incredible work of writing of your entire career. <laughs> and so, of course, naturally, you would not be feeling super creative. You would be feeling emptied out totally because you empty. had poured so much creativity over so long a period into what is going to be an incredible book. Um, and so I just love that Ab- we needed Abigail at the table to yeah. point that out for both of us, right. actually. <laughs> well, I mean, and I'll point out, too, that at the same time we were having that conversation, Christy was finishing up the third in a trilogy of books. <laughs> that has been a multi-year project. Not only has she done the writing, she's taken all of the photographs. So here the two of us are like, we're so not creative. Our creative lives are over as we accomplish like the 
biggest acts of creativity <laughs> So, friends, this is just a reminder why you always need other people at the table because you cannot be trusted. That voice in your head that <laughs> yeah. says to you, you're not creative, you're not smart, you're not gifted, you're not athletic, you can't start a new business. Like, that voice is a liar, a yeah. liar, liar. And it might be worth unpacking because it ended up being an interesting conversation and Spoiler alert, we did conclude that we are creative, but in different ways. But we had this massive blind spot to these <laughs> hugely creative projects we had just accomplished. And I think we were both so empty, like just bone dry finished by the end that it was there was not even like a little spark left in my fire, like the fire had gone out. And I keep looking at people online and thinking, look how creative they are. I'm just old and so tired. And I want to binge Netflix, which does actually feel like the appropriate response after turning in a massive project. I agree. Yeah. In fact, um, Jonathan has learned so that now if I turn something like, a, I think he just asked me this week. So I, I turned in this, this manuscript for this third book. And, um, I think one of the first things he said to me was, so you're never writing a book again, right? You're never doing that again, right? <laughs> because, and it's become a joke with us because that's how I feel after every time I, I complete some big project. I'm never doing that again, which has proved itself to not ever be true so far. So, <laughs> so it's become a bit of a joke. Yeah, so I I think, though, recognizing what Abigail pointed out, which was hilarious. So you weren't here for this part, listener, but before we hit record, I just had to laugh and laugh and laugh. Sometimes it's just so funny to realize that that you've been so serious about something and and just missed a big (laughs) part of the, the picture of what's going on in your life. So thanks, Abigail. But... I had to think about it. Okay, so she's absolutely right. Like, we were emptied out. We weren't feeling that creativity. And we had a conversation that I think um, we were able to kind of probe, like, how creativity does feel different as we're in different stages of life. And so now I, I'm still left with this question of, okay, it, it, it does feel different. So if we've now established that we are not less creative, right. <laughs> we are actually quite active, you know, in, in creative <laughs> pursuits. Um but it does feel different. And wh- and I want to know more about that. Why does it feel different? The fact that it feels different, what is that telling me? And one thing that feels really different to me, Lisa Joe, is that this kind of creativity that you and I are, are practicing now in our um, professional work, and I'll just say, we're talking about it from a perspective of like working writers and bookmakers and so on. But I, I just want to reiterate that what we're talking about I mean it to apply to just all the kinds of creative efforts, you know, we're we're engaged in day to day. So you might see creativity in your life, listener, kind of day to day in an area that's outside of your job, like it's not where you, your paycheck comes from. We're talking about that as well, whether it feels like a hobby or play or ministry or volunteer work or the thing you get paid to do, we're kind of lumping all that together, I think, for this conversation and just talking generally about creativity. But what feels different to me, Lisa Joe, is that, and I think this is what has made it hard to recognize this, what we're doing in this new season as creativity, is that it just feels more focused. It feels less, to me, kind of scattershot and all over the place. And it often did feel that way back in the day. And now that I'm, I've got children who are teenagers and even young, young adults, 
I, I kind of look at them and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what it was like when you didn't really know <laughs> yeah. what to focus on right. or what would be fruitful, what wouldn't be fruitful. You kind of had to do a little bit of everything. Um, and it's very creative and and very energetic, but it does look different and feel different. Yeah, I think that's the perfect segue into the part two of this amazing question uh, that was sent to us by Abigail, because I think she prompted us to think, well, these are two conversations we could have over the next two weeks because she said, and so after she pointed out our massive blind spot to us, she went on <laughs> to say, um, second, while I know this wasn't the focus of this week's episode, I would love it if you and Christy were to have a conversation about what you've learned about stages of life, particularly those early stages when you're still becoming. And I just thought that's such a beautiful way to describe the first half of life when you're still becoming. And and it it did feel like that stage of life was defined by, I think scattershot is the perfect word. I just think about actually not just me, you too, all the moving, like all the different places we lived. Like Pete and yeah. I lived in all these different countries and different continents and different states. And we're becoming, we were constantly kind of trying out new jobs and uh, new versions of, mm -hmm. you know, do we want to be <laughs> parents yet? And do we want to live in an apartment? Are we going to buy a house? Like, there's all the sense in which you're trying to figure it out. Am I going to be a lawyer? Am I going to be a writer? Like, what am I going to be? And, and I think that's what we're going to sit in a little bit today. And then next week, have a conversation more about this place in our lives where you are going deeper. You're not so scattershot. You're not so wide. Instead, you're deeper. Because I did say to Christy before we started this conversation, when we were thinking about Abigail talking about this deep creative work I had just done, I said, what's weird to me, though, is there's a voice in my head when I look around and see how creative everybody else is. And, I, and then I tell myself, yes, but you just did this deep work and you're good at it. Like, this book was hard to write. Like, well done, you. Like, it was the most challenging literary effort I've ever created. <laughs> and then this insidious voice says back to me, yeah, because that's all you can do. <laughs> It's so sad because that is a lie because the, the flip side of that is, no, you can do that because you've spent so much time becoming good at that. It's like telling Venus or Serena Williams, like, yeah, it's, you're good at tennis because that's all you can do. I mean, to a degree, that's true, right? Like you've invested all of this time, energy and effort. But like the reason you're so excellent is because you've invested all of this time right. and energy and effort. Yeah. So I think that... The first season of your life is about becoming, which means trying on all these different things you're trying to figure out. And then the second season is the sense in which you're more settled into yourself. I mean, the metaphor, of course, is that when I was younger, I was always trying on different clothes and styles and fashion and hair. And, and now I literally have a uniform in my closet. Like <laughs> I have the same colors, the same styles. I don't want to make decisions. I know what works for me. I just basically wear the same thing every day. And so I think that's it. We're going to have a conversation in two parts, a becoming and then a sort of settled in your closet that looks consistent conversation next week. Yeah. And of course, I mean, I don't even think we need this caveat. Our listeners know us well. Like we're not offering up a formula. Of course, there are still going to be people in later stages of life. Of course, you and I, I know will experience this, Lisa and Joe, where there is still, we're, we're always becoming and there will always be new things. And so this isn't like black or white. Um, we're speaking in nuance here. We're speaking just generally 
right, <laughs> of course. So right. um, this does not mean that I think once you have a certain milestone birthday, you never do anything new or try <laughs> anything new or become some different version of yourself. Of course not. Um, but yeah, things have changed. And I like that you brought up the geography because I know, again, this wouldn't be true for everyone either, but I've definitely experienced that, that, you know, what what was a becoming in my personality and just my life was mirrored in moving around, living in lots of different locations, learning different things about myself and my family and what I wanted in each place. And now, since age 35, I've been rooted in this place. And I'm, you know, I can hear you, some of our listeners might hear it um, in the background. I can hear hammering and nail guns and things (laughs) because we're (laughs) we're building this cottage at Maplehurst. So it's like literally this, this intense work in the background of rooting ourselves even deeper into this place and even committing more completely to to stay and to root ourselves here. Um, so it's not going to be everyone's experience, but I like that there is this sort of geographic parallel to what we're talking about. So, of course, I would never say, let's say about my placemaking and my homemaking and and things I do at home. Oh, I was more creative the first, you know, 35 years of my life when I was always moving into a new home and and having to like redecorate from scratch and, you know, kind of rethink paint colors and, you know, furniture. I was more creative then. Now everything, you know, things more stay, stay the same and they're more stable. So I'm less creative. We would never say that, right? right <laughs> That's right. clearly a ridiculous thing. So why would we say that about um, work or passions um, or, you know, ways of being in the world that have become more steady or more continuous? They're not less creative, but it does feel different. There is maybe less of those infusions of like energetic newness, you know, that we got. And you would get that, like the shock of it, I imagine, if all of a sudden you and Peter are in a whole new culture and speaking a whole new language around you, you know, just the shock of that newness is intense. And it does call out a lot from you. But are you more creative in that place than you are today? That's a whole, that, yeah. No. Right, right. And I think part of what's interesting too is just how culture and society have shifted in the last 20 years, even. And by that, I mean the pressures on you as you're becoming are different. And so I recently heard, uh, of all people, Sadie Robertson Huff. I heard her speak at Passion. I was watching her and she talked in such a compelling way to this generation in their 20s. And she shared about how there is this growth in what is termed purpose anxiety, which I had not heard of before, and Christy told me before our conversation she had not heard of it, which makes sense since we in many ways are sort of like in this more settled place of purpose. But we live in a culture now where there are like a million different voices telling you about what their purpose is and how they found it and life goals or career goals or couple goals. And there's this deep pressure on people to figure out their purpose. And I think if we're believers, that pressure is exponential because then there's this worry of like, what if I've missed what God has purposed for my life? What if I've made some terrible mistake and I'm on a detour and now I'm lost and I'm driving off a cliff? Like there's this sense in which we imagine there's this one right road and we have to find it. And it's so stressful to think about it. And it can bring a lot of grief. Like, what if I missed that opportunity or I had to leave too early? And is my purpose now, you know, evaporating before my very eyes? And I think to a certain degree, I 
Christy and I can relate to that. But but we didn't have to contend with the messaging that surrounds everybody now that's showing examples of supposedly deeply fulfilled people in their purpose. That is a lot to contend with. And I think as we think of the next generation, we look at our own kids as they are becoming in a culture where now like becoming an influencer is like a viable job option, like that's so strange. <laughs> like the most we could have hoped for when we were growing up was like to be a movie actress or a pop star, you know, and it was like so <laughs> removed. There was no path to do that. Like right, if you right. wanted to do that, you had to like live in America. And I lived in South Africa or your parents <laughs> had to, if you were here, that to move to L.A. Like now you could just buy a phone and, you know, get a YouTube channel. And now you could be famous. So I just think the art of becoming now is more challenging. And, um, but, and I think art is the right word. Like there's not a science to it. There is, and I think scripture is so beautiful in this way because it seems to acknowledge the art dimension of becoming of who we are. I, I love the idea that throughout scripture is woven this dreaming new dreams, you know, having visions like, um, to create along with God. Like there is a call into becoming. And I think maybe if I, parse this out, the pressure is when it's about becoming us, like the best version of me. That feels stressful because I almost feel like it's like a hoarder mentality. Like I have to have the best house and the best family. I think about these HGTV shows where people, their starter home is like this giant, massive, like six bedroom with a pool, you know? So Peter and I like were in this dinky little apartment forever. We, We couldn't even get like the nicer dinky apartment. We were like in the worst one. And, and I, think there's just when we are trying to become and we are trying to become the best version of ourselves we will always be disappointed but if we are trying to become part of something bigger than us and this is the beauty of Christ's kingdom if we are trying to become part of the work of the kingdom I don't know, Christy, it feels like it relieves a lot of the pressure off of who you're becoming because you're not just becoming for yourself. You're not the end. Like the end isn't to be the best version of you where the end isn't the one with the most toys wins, you know, like how sad that definition feels impossible. But if the definition instead is becoming part of the kingdom of heaven, like that's attainable and it takes the pressure off of you. Like it's not about who you are anymore. It's instead an invitation to you to become part of something way bigger than you that you can't mess up. Right, that you can't mess up. I mean, Lisa Joe, you and I have said many times on the podcast if we as we have shared stories about our backgrounds, but I do think quite a few of these conversations are probably in season one. So if we have some new listeners, they may not have heard them. But if you go back, they're there where we say again and again, what if you and I had known in our 20s, yeah, when you were in law school, and then when you were a new minted attorney in downtown Chicago, and I was in graduate school working on the PhD, and we were newlyweds, and before we had kids, I mean, that's when we met. That's when we first knew each other. If, if someone had sat us down then and said, Lisa Joe, you will not go on working as an attorney. You will not be a human rights lawyer adv- advocating in that way for, for very long anyway. Christy, you will not be, be an English professor. Yeah. Like your lives will look very different. They will, may, maybe they told us that what they would look like or maybe not, but you and I would have been devastated, yeah, horrified. I mean, and shocked. Like I would have been like, shocked. no, you're just wrong. Yes. What are you talking about? 
Right. And and what I take from that, at least in regards to this conversation, is that, well, first of all, it's just good that we don't know. <laughs> but also that now my now looking back, I have a much more expansive view of purpose and meaning because I know that what we walked through was meaningful. Not because of not because it was taking us, not because we were on a path headed toward the destination either of us thought, you know, we were headed to. We weren't. We have ended up in very different places. But that doesn't mean that we had take that we had taken missteps. It doesn't mean that we are in the wrong place. I'll just I'll just say this. If if we had not been where we were, you and I would never have met. Yeah. We wouldn't have shared right. these 20 years of work. We would not be podcasting. Like so much that is a part of our lives today would not be there. Our husbands wouldn't be friends and and they've often done, you know, lots of great work together. Like none of that would have happened. All this fruitfulness would not have happened. And I'm not saying I was in grad school and you were an attorney in Chicago so that we could meet. I mean, it's not that simple, right? It's fortunately it's just beautifully bigger than than that. But right there is one huge example of of us never really being able to see the fullness of yeah. you know purpose. And so why do we think we can figure it out? Why do we think we can slap a label on ourselves and say, here's my purpose. I will pursue it right. onward. <laughs> well, I love that you just used the word fruitfulness. Of course you did, my gardener friend, because I think the problem is definitions. And so as people who love words, that matters to us. So if becoming, if you're defining it by your career track or your uh, personal life track or your bank account, then, then that is a place that is really uh, got a goal that you can miss, like you can, you can miss it and you can succeed at it. And you can never feel content at it because it is a, that is a, a finish line that constantly moves. So if that's your definition of becoming, you are going to live dissatisfied. But if your definition of becoming is fruitfulness, which I think is God's definition of becoming, then when I look back at Chicago or at me going to law school, never really being a lawyer for more than a few years, that isn't failure. What is what God has done is He has grown me. He's grown me because He's invited me into relationship with other people in His kingdom who are doing work for Him. And those relationships. So Chicago wasn't about the job I had or the degree you were getting or John's training and the company he was growing into. Like more and more, in fact, it was about what was happening in the kingdom in Chicago at the time and in our lives as friends and who we would go on to get to know and the churches that were being grown and the community and the conversations. And when I think about becoming in that way, you can't miss it because God is constantly orchestrating this beautiful tapestry of people and purpose in and through your life. And so, if your focus isn't just on you, if if you're not the king of your kingdom, if it's not the kingdom of Lisa Joe, and it's the kingdom of Christ, uh, Christ's kingdom is is way richer, way more interesting, way more creative, and way less possible to miss because there isn't just one way to measure if I have become now or not. Right. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that it was meaningless, right? Oh, it doesn't yes. mean that like pursuing certain studies or working hard to attain certain goals is pointless or meaningless. There is a great deal of, of meaning in it. And I think this is where we come back to like the stages and the creativity and how it feels is that I can remember just being 
And I'm not, <laughs> I don't think of myself just temperamentally as a super driven, ambitious person. Like, I don't think of myself that way. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But anyway, that's the perception I have of myself. And yet, I can remember what it was like to be in my 20s and to feel like driven by desires and longings. You know, I longed to become a mother. I longed to complete the PhD. Um, I dreamed of, you know, certain things in my life. I, Jonathan and I dreamed of living in a, in a big city in an urban environment. And I still look back and I just thank God that we had that dream and it was realized and it was so precious and it continues to be just precious in our lives and continues to bear fruit in our lives. That experience was, yeah, so life-changing. Um, and so I remember that and I just really honor that. I think like, you know, the scripture talks so much about the desires of our heart. <laughs> like they are precious things and they're precious to God. And um, certainly I, I imagine they can somehow be misplaced. They can sometimes be selfish or, or miss the mark. But I think generally, um, especially if we are really faithful, we're really trying to be faithful to uh, the Holy Spirit in us. They are really good. I don't know. They're good. Um, they're good markers and signposts and they're good. I don't know. They're just, they're gifts from God that can, um, keep us pursuing, keep us um, pursuing God, keep us pursuing purpose and meaning. Like these are really good, good things. Obviously, you know, they can become unhealthy obsessions. Like again, you know, nuance. But I just remember, um, I remember how precious those feelings were. I remember also the weight of them. So I had a um, a really great conversation at church um, recently with a younger woman in our church who is, you know, waiting to hear back from graduate school programs. So she's like right in that stage, like she's applied, but she doesn't know. So I was just saying, oh my gosh, like that is a wild place to be. I remember that feeling where your whole future, it seems like, is in the hands of these people who will read your applications and decide, and you have no idea where you will go or what will happen next. And, you know, it's just wide open. And that is so exciting. And, and it's so exciting to want things. And it's also a really heavy burden you know, I just remember like wrestling with God and, and staying up at night, just wondering, where will we be next year? What will happen? Will this thing I want ever come true? Man, that is some intense experience that isn't always pleasant. But I can look back and say, wow, I often was, you know, just hearing from God or there was a nearness to God in those seasons of longing that isn't really a part so much of my day-to-day -day life anymore. I mean, I know there will be seasons again of that. But um, as I said last week, like, you know, I'm just in a more rooted, settled, content place where things just feel a little calmer. And I can appreciate that. <laughs> but man, I remember just the intensity of longing and just, you know, how good it could be, but how hard it could be. So I guess I just want to say, if that's where you are, like, it won't always be that way. But but that is a good place to be because that that is such a huge part of becoming. It's such a huge part of becoming. And I would just also remind that it's not permanent because I think that's often when we're young, thing younger, I'll say, we feel 
the sense that like this is a forever that I'm in, like this painful transition, this job I had to leave, this disappointment this person feels in me or I feel in my life, you know, where I am, like there's a sense in which it can feel like, oh, this is it, like this is forever, <laughs> like I now I'm going to live in this sadness or this disappointment or this stress point I'm in. And it's just not true. Like, it's not permanent, you know, like we're going to move through it. And I remember, because I haven't thought about this in a long time, but especially now, here I am, like, you know, I'm the person who talked on this podcast for years about how we never owned a home and we only rented. And, you know, for decades, like everybody else had like bought homes and lived in them for like 10 years before Peter and I ever actually owned a home. And so here I am settled with these kids who one of them's going to start going to college. It's insane to me. But I remember, I remember back to when we were living in a rental house in Virginia and I was commuting into DC to do a job that just, I couldn't believe that was the job I was doing because I just, it wasn't a good fit. I didn't want to be doing it, but I was working hard for the money, as they say, <laughs> you do what you have to do. And I remember though, so sort of the difference between when we're becoming in terms of a career versus we're becoming in terms of kingdom work, like who God is making us. And one of the things I felt really called to was to encourage women. And I also felt this deep sense. We had two little boys at the time, both under the age of five, I think. But I just had the sense like that our family's not complete yet. Like I was sure of it. And it seemed insane on paper. Like we were just like keeping our noses above water in terms of work and finances. We had this tiny little rental house with a backyard that was basically a swamp with mosquitoes that would just rise up out of the grass and attack you if you went outside. It was not a great living situation. But I just remember believing so deeply that there was still like another person who was supposed to join our family. And the day when I found out I was pregnant with our daughter, Zoe, I remember like thinking, oh my gosh, I want to tell Pete, but tonight we are still going into DC because he was a professor and they would have what they called family night dinner on Tuesday nights with his students. And so we were, I had to get the two little boys like dressed and two toddlers and ready to drive all the way into the city and went into the city for dinner. And so then I had to sit through a whole dinner with all these students. And then as we were driving home, I was thinking like, when am I going to tell him and how will it be? And oh my gosh, like this is so exciting. <laughs> As oh, no. we are on the highway, we are in, so just for context, we are driving his father's borrowed car that he had given us. Okay. Like this is how like we had not become in any like of the world's <laughs> mile markers. So we're managing with this old boat. It was like this big white boat of a car. Like you just imagine like those giant ones, you know, with the big steering wheel. And we've got the two car seats that can barely fit in the back and our stuff. And we're driving. And as we're on the highway, I'm thinking about telling Peter about my pregnancy. And Peter is thinking about the car because it is making this insane noise. And there's this <laughs> tire that's like, Arr! like it sounds like it's wobbling. And I'm like, whoa, that's not seem safe. And he's like, okay, good thing it's our exit. And so we pull off at our exit. And as we pull off, the tire comes completely <laughs> off of the car, okay? And just starts, it, I just watch it roll across the road in front of us as our How car crashes down on its axle. <laughs> 
Okay. And sparks come out because it's like <laughs> onto the side. Of the like road. the wheel actually just yes. fell off the bus. The entire, <laughs> yes, the wheels, the wheels came off the bus. And ironically, like we had done all the right things. That car had just been in for a tire alignment and come to find out afterwards they had not put the bolts on. Like none of the nuts were back on the tire. <laughs> so. It's just a miracle it didn't come off on the highway. So it had like, it rolls off the tire. I remember watching it like roll across the road in front of us as this car crashes to the curb. And our lives flash before our eyes. And luckily, we're on the side of the road. And there was two interesting things happened. A police car pulled up immediately behind us. He had been there and put his lights on so nobody would crash into us. And then some man had like pulled over as well and like got out and like ran and caught our tire. <laughs> it was like strange. Wow. Rolled our tire back to us. <laughs> I'm sitting in the car with these two toddlers. I'm pregnant. We're in our borrowed car. The tires have literally come off of the situation. Okay? <laughs> and in every way, like this is not what you think of when you think of becoming. And yet, and yet, these are the stories that make us family, that make marriages cement, you know, and like... Peter had to get driven by a tow truck. He had to take the car. And I got, I don't even know how I got home. I can't remember if like someone, someone on some stranger or neighbor picked us up. I don't know what happened. The car had to get towed. So now I'm at home. I've tucked the kids in. I'm waiting for what I now know will be my incredibly stressed out husband to arrive because now we're going to have to talk finances around this car that isn't even ours. He comes in and he sits down and he's just sitting there on the sofa and he's like, well, I mean, I don't know, like... I guess we either need to get a new car, but if we do, like, we just have to get, like, a small one, maybe. I, we're, I know we had talked about getting a minivan at some point. I just don't think we can do it. And I, he's like, we just need to crunch down. Like, everything needs to just, like, stop. I remember I just started laughing. And I said to him, I mean, or we could go big and just have another baby and get a minivan. He's like, wait, what? Well, yeah, I mean, like, let's just go big. I say we just go for it. <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, so I was, this was going to be romantic, but instead, I'm just going to tell you, just, it's been a big night and I have more news. <laughs> I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I just feel like uh, <laughs> that's a reminder to me that is what become, becoming feels like. Like that's actually it. Like that is, it's the tension of growing in ways you may not have chosen for yourself. And I think that is the beauty of Christ because outside of him, those things are so terrifying. But inside of him, we are reminded that he is infinitely creative and he loves us and he tells us over and over in scripture, be not afraid. <laughs> and he enters into that and he grows us into something. And now that daughter is going to turn 13 next year mm. and we don't <laughs> have a borrowed car anymore <laughs> in laws. And we have teenagers, and yet um, those are the stories that are what grow us up into who we who we will become. And I think that's what we're talk about next week is the sense of like if you feel like you you're you're on the other side, you're not becoming. You've become. Is that a thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> have we become? <laughs> but yes, I guess it's just uh, the encouragement for those in the becoming stages that you're right. Like those are the stages that have a lot more pressure and tension and sort of conflict in terms of when you think about good stories with great conflict and sadness and sorrow. And yet also like 
those intense joys, you know, like new babies and new beginnings and new yeses and hard goodbyes. And, and yet all of it is, it's the chrysalis, I guess, in many ways, it's the egg that has to be cracked through. It's like all the cheesy Mm -hmm. metaphors. It is. Yeah. Because that is how becoming feels. So if you're in a season where it feels hard and challenging, and I don't know what comes next, and I feel lost and sad and also very joyful, like you're, you're in the becoming. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm just remembering now from our our days with little kids, The Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar. Do you remember yes. that book? Yes. I'm thinking it could feel a lot of times like being that hungry, hungry caterpillar, like you're so hungry and it's just, you wonder, will there be enough? And you're just, you know, your mouth is open. And then I think of the, the Psalm where God says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. You know, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And I feel like, yeah, the becoming is we open up. We just open up our mouths. And next week we talk about what it's like to realize, oh my gosh, I've got a lot in my mouth. (laughs) Wow, God. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'm full. I'm full. (laughs) It also is good, but that's next week. Come back for that next week. (laughs) The butterfly stage. (laughs) 